Well, good morning, everyone. Super excited to kick off this series this morning, and we're going to talk about church being defined because a lot of us have been handed an idea based on the way we were raised or the culture or environment that had the biggest impact on us that kind of carved out for us this idea of what church means and what it doesn't mean. Some of those definitions may be good. Some people, when they hear that word, they think, oh, good stuff. Some people, when they hear that word church, they don't think very good about that word. Some of us think that it can only be something that happens once a week or it happens over here or it happens in this space, and some of us have a broader definition of that. So instead of us looking at what our definitions are, why don't we allow Scripture to define for us what church actually is, what the purpose is, and how we can live out that purpose. And that's the purpose of this series. Because although church definitely has come to mean a building or maybe an organization, a lot of us think of church in that context. The original Greek word is a word um, that's pronounced ekklesia, and it means a gathering, an assembly, and it's the basis for our English word congregation. But that's really what God designed church to be in the first place, a congregation of people, a group of people. The definition of a church as a separate building for a place for worship would have been a foreign idea to the early believers as they met in homes. They wouldn't even understand first century church uh, calling what this building is a church building. They, they wouldn't understand that would be a foreign idea. When a building was mentioned in the New Testament, it was always in relation to the people who met there. The church in Ephesus, the church that meets, you know, in this specific region. And they had this broader definition that the church was people, not just a building. But with the legitimization and the affluence of church as it's grown over the later years, the church has come to mean a building in a lot of people's minds where people meet. And now it's even used in reference to a particular denomination where they'll say, well, this church or that church. But the truest meaning of the word church is a group of believers. That's why we believe, based on Scripture, that church is not somewhere we go. It is who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And Christ is the head of this gathering that we call church. If you have your Bible, go over to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first chapter Ephesians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and in his greeting, we commonly call this the Ephesians prayers, because Paul is writing out a prayer that he's praying over this church. And we can learn a lot in this passage about how the church was viewed and where the priority was placed in this early church movement. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15, Scripture says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I'm remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what the riches are of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here Paul is helping us to see how big that this idea of Christ being the head and the authority and the supreme over everything that either is or will be or has been, but then this thing called church is his body. And he's the one that is the head. He's leading it. He's guiding it. He's directing it. And Paul makes this connection between Christ and his body, identifying the church as the body of Christ. Now, I don't get to choose as Derek which parts of my body conveniently get to be Derek and which parts don't. I don't get to say to my right arm, you can be a part of my body for one hour a week on Sunday, but the rest of the week, Jack, you can forget about it. You're not a part of my body. I don't get the luxury of doing something that stupid to be able to say, I'm going to stop being a part of Derek's body. No, it's a part of my body because it's the way that I am made. It's a part of me. It's an, integral, uh, it's an integral part of me. And just like the body of Christ is not something that we get to just check in and check out of, like we're punching into work and then we punch out on Sunday when we're done. This is a part of who we are. This is a core piece of our identity that we see in Scripture if we are people who follow Christ. He's the head of this deal and we are the body. So go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we'll see another instance where the Apostle Paul writes to a different church with this, uh, with this same idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body, and it would have a mouth. Just, that's Derek adding that, which is kind of creepy, because we got talking hands and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Catch that. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Skip down to verse 27. Now you are, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here we see the Apostle Paul is very clear about this whole idea of church and the way that we're supposed to approach it and the way we're supposed to view it. It's not an event. It's not something on our calendar. It's not a building. It's not something that we do once or twice a week. It is something that is an integral part of our identity. It's who we are. We are the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the church, is not an organization. It is a living, breathing organism. It's not just something that we do, that we punch in and we punch out of. It's a part of our DNA, man, our core, who we are if we are Christ followers. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. And we believe because of this 
that we are better together. We're not just supposed to be out there doing this thing solo, doing it on our own. This isn't just something where you and I just get to go out and just kind of maverick this deal because we think we're better or smarter or whatever the case may be. One of the things that I was sharing with uh, uh, my friend Cully uh, earlier this morning was we were talking about kind of the frustration, and this really grieves my heart, the frustration when people who claim the name of Christ and they begin to treat other people that don't look like them, act like them, smell like them, talk like them, they treat them differently or they ostracize them. Or someone who may be carrying baggage or, or may have a, have a darker past, uh, some, some, some questionable things maybe that they have been involved in in their life. And, and, and we see how those people will be treated differently in the context of an assembly of people that are kind of supposed to be known for loving each other. And, and it grieves my heart to think about that because some people don't feel welcome in what we call church because of their checkered past. Or some people don't feel like they can connect or be a part, or people will kind of, you know, move when, when they see someone come and, and sit close by them that they may feel uncomfortable around. And I began to think, man, you know, the calling card that Jesus said that would be the calling card that we are a part of him and he is a part of us was not our attendance was not our giving was not our our hours served it was our love for one another that's what jesus said he said they will know this that you are my disciples if you have love one for another so this is how people are going to know yeah man is it going to be messy you bet <laughs> is it is it going to be this thing that's made up of, of of people that may have different backgrounds different ideas different thoughts different things yes it is but but you know what christ uh, is, he's, he's chosen to call this thing his body that yet we look at and we go, why would you want to be a part of that? Because he loves us. Uh, because when we live for him and he works in us and through us, it brings him glory and, and, and his grace operates in us and through us and it shows people how great God is that he would love us in spite of us, not because we are the squeaky clean club that have all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed and we've got it all figured out and we've got all the answers and, and we're this perfect class of people. No, man, it, it's, it's like a jambalaya gumbo hot mess sometimes of, of backgrounds and, 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 and ideologies and thoughts. And, and, and somehow we, we rally around something that brings us together. Because you probably don't like the same food I like. You probably don't like the same kind of TV shows or movies I like. You don't have the same, but it doesn't matter. We, that's not what's uniting us. It's what's uniting us is the fact that we have found value in Christ alone. Amen. We have found value in what Christ has done on the cross and because we have experienced a, 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 a measure because, man, we keep growing and experiencing more and more of who he is. As we have experienced a measure of his love and his grace in our lives, it should change us. And if it's not changing us, are we experiencing that love and grace of God? Because it should be changing the way we interact with other people. It should change our priorities. It should reset the things that we think are important. Let, let's watch this happen in Scripture over in the book of Acts chapter 2. So let me give you just a setup here. In Acts chapter 2, 
here we have this big festival, and there's people from all over, a bunch of different regions. They all speak different languages. They have different backgrounds. And the people uh, who were following Christ after Christ has already uh, arisen, they're, they're meeting in a room, and they're, they're, they're waiting. And the Holy Spirit falls, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And as they begin to speak in these other tongues, some of those people begin to perk up and go, oh, that I'm hearing my language spoke. And they're wondering how on earth are these people who are these Jewish people speaking these different languages and they're hearing the gospel being shared, they're hearing God being glorified, and it's blowing their mind. And people are like, how are they doing this? Are they drunk? And Peter, he was there, Jesus' disciple, he, he pipes up, he goes, hey, these people aren't drunk like you think, like you'd suppose. He said, it's not even time for them to be drunk. It's like the wrong time of the day. Like there's a time, I guess. You know, he said, it's, it's not the right time. And he says, they're not drunk like you suppose. He said, he said, rather, this was a prophecy that was given and it's being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. And he quotes the prophecy from Joel chapter two. And as he quotes that prophecy, he then has this audience. He begins to speak and he gives this sermon and he begins to talk about Christ and how he was crucified and how he was, how he was buried and rose from the dead. And he begins to talk about how, how Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And he begins to share this information with them, and, and it does something to them. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verse 37, and let's see what happened. Now, when they heard this, that, that message that he was preaching, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we going to do? Like, they're like, you, what are we supposed to do with this? It, this has cut us to the core. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them. And he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh my goodness, what? So 3,000 people are added to this group in one day because of the power of God in operation and they, they, they've had this encounter with God. It's opened their eyes. It cut them to the heart. It cut them to the core. And they repented. And they were baptized. And we see what happened. And so now what? Next verse, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow, so it wasn't just this one time 3,000 people being added. No, people are being added day by day who are repenting, who are being baptized, who are following Jesus, and they're making this radical commitment. They're loving each other in a real tangible way. 
They're loving each other in, in, in a way where it's shifting and it's changing who they are. It's changing their priorities because before they were more focused on themselves like all of us before we encounter Christ. We're just thinking about how we can always get bigger and better and more for ourselves. But now their heart has been transformed to where they're caring about other people to the point to where they're like, man, I don't even care about stuff. It just doesn't, it doesn't have my heart anymore. You know, before Christ, I had my heart set on that new camel with that sweet saddle or those sweet sandals that had the swoosh on them, the jump man. But you know, now because of Christ, I'm not concerned with the things I used to be consumed with. I'm now being consumed with Christ and I'm being consumed with his love and it's changing my heart. It's changing my mind. It's changing my attitude. And now I, I'm looking at people differently. I'm looking at, hey, you guys need something? Are you guys okay? I'll, I'll sell what I have if you need something. You want to come over and eat? You want to spend time together? Let's fellowship. You, let's pray together. L let's go listen to the apostles teach together. L let's go to the temple and let's worship together. Uh, you, you guys want to want to receive the Lord's Supper together? Let's do that. They just wanted to be together because they knew something. They knew they were better together. And there's an enemy that is outside of this fellowship that would love to break apart that unity. The enemy would love to break apart that type of unity because he knows that if he can get us isolated, get us alone, or, or, or get us distracted, that he can begin to distort the purpose, wound people, hurt them, drive them away from Christ, or, or drive them away from the purpose that God has created them for, because he, he'll whisper in their ear, he'll, he'll deceive, he'll, he'll cause offense, all of these things, and, and remind you regularly of offenses, and how you were done wrong, and how this church, or that church, or this pastor, or that pastor, or how this situation, or that situation, and he'll constantly keep it in front of you, so you'll go, you know what, I'm just giving up on this whole thing, I just, I, I, I quit, I don't want to do this anymore, because the enemy would love to get us isolated but we are better together, and the early church understood this. You see, these people didn't encounter this message that Peter preached that day, and then on the way out, high five, woohoo! Man, Pete, good sermon. Got me right here, buddy. Uh, it really touched me. You know, I, it really motivated me, Pete. I'm really glad. I, I hope that touched somebody. It was really awesome. See you next week, buddy. That's not what they did. They didn't have this encounter during this time when they were all gathered together, and then they were like, I'm checking out. We'll get together and do this again next week, same, same time, right? No, they're like, we got to have more. We got to be together. This is important. This is vital. This matters because we're seeing what God is doing in us, and we're seeing what God is doing around us. And so you see the result of how the believers just fellowshiped, how they were together, how they were connected because they were around other people who were excited about what they're excited about because if you want to find people who aren't excited about Christ, you won't have to look very far. You won't have to look very far. It, you know, there's people that are just not excited about Christ. What does that do to us? It, it doesn't mean we avoid interacting with people that, that don't know Christ or that aren't excited or passionately pursuing Christ. But it does mean that we can't always be around that 24-7. We need to gather with other people who are passionate about growing in Christ, following Christ, loving each other, caring for one another. Because I get more excited with people who are excited about the same thing I'm excited about. Like, okay, so like this, this past summer, um, I, I went to a, a comic convention. 
And a friend of mine from church here went with me and my kids. And, and when we went to this comic convention, because I'm a nerd, meh, so <laughs> when I went to this comic convention, they had some of the voice actors from the cartoons I used to watch as a kid that were there. And these guys are old, man. Like, they had all four voices of the original 1980s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon there. And there was this one part where they all yell out together, turtle power, and I'm like... (laughs) And my kids are like, what? But, But I was able to get excited about things with the people that I was with that were excited about the same things. And we were able to talk about it. And, oh, yeah, there's this guy from this movie, or there's this guy from this TV show, or, oh, look at this, I remember this as a kid, or, oh, yeah, look at this. And my kids are like, what is all this stuff, you know? <laughs> but, but it was great to have someone with me that was getting excited about some of the things I was excited about because it brings more life, it brings more energy. And so when you're with other people who get excited about following Jesus, people who are, who, who are on fire for the Lord, that are sold out to the cause, bigger than themselves, and you're surrounding yourself, it's like iron, sharpening iron. It's like us holding each other accountable, lifting one another up, strengthening one another. It's us encouraging one another, reminding one another of our purpose, and spurring one another on to good works. Instead of saying, hey, you go do this over here. No, it's we. Let's go do this together. It's, hey, let's pray together. Hey, let's get together at our homes. Hey, let's connect in community together, either through a group at church or or, or just because we love each other and and maybe we just want to become close friends and care about each other or whatever the case may be, where you're a part of this body of people who care about the same stuff, get excited about the same stuff. And it's not just some religious obligation where you go and you check off a box and you go, I did that thing. But instead, it's, it's a priority, it's a passion because it's your identity. It's not just somewhere you go. It's who you are. It's a shift in the way you think. It's a shift in the way you value. It's a shift in in, in it not just being another thing I consume as a patron or a consumer, but becomes a family that I am a part of, that I'm plugged into, that I'm connected with. I'm a part of the body of Christ. We were created to serve in Christ-centered community together, where we're doing life together, not just once a week for an hour. The only one who wants us to believe that we're better off on our own is the enemy. It's the only one who wants you to believe you're better off on your own. Well, I can do it at my home. I can just be off by myself. Yep. Yeah, you can. You, 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 but the enemy wants to harbor up that offense, keep you, keep you stuck keep you angry, keep you wounded, keep you crippled, keep you hurt, keep you, keep you discouraged, keep you frustrated, keep you, keep you down and out and, and feeling sorry for yourself. But can I tell you that around Christ-centered community, around other believers, we can sharpen and encourage one another because this, the church, it, it's, it's not perfect, right? And, and, and Jesus didn't say, I'll die for you and you can be my body when you're perfect. Nope. Right in the middle, while you were yet sinners. That's when Christ died for you. That's what Scripture says. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's me. 
That's you. Because the church is a reflection of God's grace. That means it can often be messy. And, and yeah, I, we make mistakes and people get wounded and they want to give up on church or they'll say they want to give up on organized religion. And, and listen, God could have spoken the, to the world directly if he wanted to because he's God. He's God. If he wanted to speak to every person audibly, directly, he could because he is God. But instead, he chose to use broken people to showcase his grace to a world in need of redemption. He wanted to show the world what redemption looks like by redeeming us <laughs> and calling us, not, not to this where we have to be completely perfect and do everything just right, but yet he's calling us to live Christ-like and for us to lay behind the things of the past and grow in those things. And, and I'm figuring it out, man, and you're figuring it out. I'm not there yet where I've got everything figured out, and, and odds are you're not there either. But we're striving, we're, we're, we're trying to grow in Christ-likeness as we go through this journey of sanctification, as He's purifying us, and, and the world gets a front-row seat to the, the goodness of God's grace through the church. And, and, and yeah, there, there, can be, there can be junk, but I tell you what, when the church grows and gets healthier and healthier, people begin to see the goodness and the grace of God clearer and clearer. Amen. I believe God wants His church to be healthy. He wants us to be people who are growing in health who are helping raise up other people and, and mentor and disciple other people to help them grow and get healthy. Just like uh, we, we hear about all the great ministries, like some of our global partners that we support that are doing that all over the world, even locally, some here in our own town where we see how God's using ministries all over the place, helping people get healthy. Churches helping others get healthy. Christians sharpening one another, encouraging one another because we want to show grace to a world in need of redemption hebrews 10 and 25 says not forsaking our own assembling together as in the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near and that scripture should be an encouragement and a reminder to us to, to get plugged in to stay connected because man I, I get it like community is messy people sin um leaders are sinful but most of the New Testament is not a story of an ideal church where everything worked perfectly all the time. As a matter of fact, it's great. We read Acts chapter 2. Oh, everybody's eating in each other's homes. It's great. It's awesome. And everybody's happy. Let's doing communion together. Oh, we're, we're selling our stuff and giving it to the poor. And then you have a situation where the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, and he hears about what's going on at the church in Corinth, and he's like, I gotta write a letter to these guys. Oh man, yeah, I need to write. Yeah, here you're doing this and you're tolerating this, and and man, I, I mean, this is a brand new thing. It's like when you buy your kids a new toy and like they break it like within the first thirty minutes. You're like, I just got this for you. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> and, and and it's kind of what's going on. Paul's writing. He's already having to fix this. Is brand new. This thing we call church, and Paul's already going. You guys are missing the point. And then, you know, oh, I heard about the church in Galatia. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Oh, man, I got to write a letter to these guys too. Okay. And he's trying to help get them back on course. And he's trying to help correct them because they've already gotten off base. And so this stuff is nothing new. 
that we're dealing with. It's not like, oh, the church has gone so far, all this stuff. Yeah, it, when it was brand new, they started getting off track. But yet, if we still repent and, and we're pursuing God and we are genuinely wanting to, to pursue the heart of God and growing and loving God and loving people and serving the world, God, God, God is helping us to become more and more uh, like that, that bride that, that the world can see, that, that, that light, that city on a hill, that salt and light that we're called to be as the church, as the body of Christ, with Christ at the head. And, and, and man, by no means is it perfect. But yet people can see grace actively at work. They can see redemption at work. Because if you're looking for the perfect local gathering to be a part of, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. But here's what I will say. It's not perfect, but the truth is, is that disconnecting yourself from community is actually less faithful than connecting yourself to flawed community. Because the enemy does, the, the enemy does not want you connected. The enemy wants to see you isolated. And the fact that Christ uses flawed people to accomplish his work on earth is actually a sign of his grace, not a sign of his absence. The church, when healthy, gives the world a front row seat to the grace of God in action. It gives the world a front row seat to seeing the grace of God in action. Because the church has a mission. We're called to impact eternity every single day. Every single day we're called to be salt and light, to be a change agent, to influence the different places that God has given us responsibility for. You remember earlier when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? where I had you pay attention to that one verse that says, he places each member in the body as he sees fit. Amen. Now, for the sake of maybe some of you were, were there, I'm going to be very vague with my next story because there was a thing I did and there were people there and I spoke at a thing, okay? And so um, when I was at this thing and I was speaking to people that were there, which is kind of my thing, um, I, I, I was speaking and, and I was telling the people that were there that... Um, God cares just as much about your job and what you do as he does what happens on Sunday morning at our church. And when I said that, people went, <laughs> I saw these looks of horror on people's faces. I'm not even kidding. Like, I, at the same time, there were, there, there were four people in particular that when I said this thing at the thing, when I was talking at the thing, that these people, it was almost like they synced it up. Like they went, together. Because they had a hard time believing that what they did mattered beyond earning a paycheck. And I was trying to help them see that Yes, it's important what we do on Sunday here at church, but God doesn't go, oh, I really like this thing, but that other thing you do, mm -mm, I can't use that. God can use that just as much because let's, let me tell you something. It's not about where I go. It's who I am. So that means if I'm in business, if I sit at a desk and, and I answer the phone, if I'm sitting on an assembly line working, it means that if I'm uh, checking patients in and out or if I'm teaching children at a school or if I'm managing something or if I'm working from home, if I'm running a daycare, whatever I may be doing, it doesn't matter. I can do it as unto the Lord and eternity can be influenced and impacted because it matters to God, not just having a, a once-a-week church 
church service because if all we say is that what we do here matters the most more than anything, then we're telling God when and where he can change lives. And we're saying, God, we've built this nice little playground for you. Enjoy. Change lives. Touch people. Let, 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 let all these wonderful things happen. No. God has given each one of us a responsibility and gifts and opportunities and a certain desire or opportunity or mind for certain things. And those things aren't just to be used for our personal gain. First and foremost, they're to be used for the glory of God. And when we live life with a purpose shift, a mentality shift, it doesn't just become about what happens for an hour once a week in a church service. It becomes about me living my life every day on purpose with a greater purpose, and that is to influence and impact eternity because the church is not somewhere I go, it's who I am. I am a part of the body of Christ. I, I was always confused as a kid because the church that I grew up in we would have what people would call a move of God in that church. And there would be things there that people would call the power of God. Things that would happen in those church services where they would say, wow, the Spirit of God really moved and the power of God really moved in this instance. And they were just blown away and someone's life would be changed. And I believe some of those things were legitimate. But the part that confused me and bothered me was that we would go out to eat at a restaurant after it happened and God didn't move in the restaurant. And the power of God didn't move in the restaurant. And then we would go to a place where there's a whole lot of people that don't know Jesus, and I wasn't seeing those people who were being used by God in the context of an hour or however long service. They, they weren't being used by God anywhere outside of that service. And then I was confused. I remember as a teenager being frustrated because I thought, if it's real, why is it not always happening? If it's real, then why is it limited to this space, this sandbox that we've given God? And if it's real, I want to see God touching and changing lives and the power of God moving in people's lives in the everyday and the mundane because when I look at the life of Christ, you want to know where miracles happen? You want to know where life change happened? Jesus was walking from this town to that town and he came upon a place where there was a guy. He was blind and he said, hey, you want to be healed? Jesus was going from this place to that place, and he was on a journey, and he was just going to a different town. And as he was on his way, a leper came up to him. I, I, I don't see very many of those things happening in the context of the temple. There were a few that happened in the context of a temple worship gathering. Sure, so God can move in that context, but Jesus ministered in the everyday and if he's the one who's the tone setter, if I'm to be a disciple of him and following his pattern, that means that my impact is not just supposed to be in a corporate gathering that we call church. No, it's supposed to happen not only there, but every day of my life. When there's opportunity, that means my antennas need to be up. And I need to be aware that my life has a greater purpose than me just going through the ebb and flow of life, trying to be a nice person and wait for Sunday and we'll have a little Jesus. Not interested in that. Church is not somewhere you go. It's who you are, and we're called to impact eternity. The church is supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to have an influence in the world around us where people are seeing Jesus. People are experiencing and encountering his love. They're seeing something different, something that, that doesn't fit with the culture. It doesn't fit with the culture's societal norms. It's something that goes against the grain, but it's attractive to them. 
something that makes them go, I want what you have. There is something unique there because the value system that you live with, the way you conduct yourself, the things that you do at work, the way you work your work, the way you raise your children, the way that you engage other people in the workplace and in the marketplace, it's different. And the power of God can move there just like He can in the church service. I'm getting off my soapbox. I just need a minute. All right. <laughs> Every single day. Every single day. You are the church when you go to work. You are the church when you shop, when you go out to eat, when you get a haircut, when you go to school, when you drive in the car with your family, when you go to the movies with your friends. You are the church. You never check out. You never stop. The change that needs to happen is to the way that we see ourselves and how we identify with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That's an identification thing. That's saying, this isn't something that just Christ did for me. I was crucified with Christ. In other words, who I was before is dead. It is crucified. I no longer own the rights to me. I am laying down my rights. I am laying down my will. I am laying down my preference. Hello, somebody. And I am picking up Christ. And I am putting on Christ. And now Christ is in the driver's seat, not me. Because it is not me that lives anymore. Here, Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, the new purpose that I have, the life that I now am living, that I'm living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's been an identity shift. I'm no longer identifying with the past. I'm no longer identifying with past successes or failures. We always think about the past as failures, don't we? Isn't that funny how we do that? Oh, you know, let God, God will erase your past, and we mean all the bad stuff. Yeah, that's true, but the good stuff too. <laughs> that means your trophies can't come with you. <laughs> oh, look at all the good things I've done too, God. Aren't you so lucky to have me in your kingdom? Mm. Nope, your successes go too. The, that's part of the past. Your past failures, your past successes. Because what we can do is we can wrap our identity up in our past failures or our past successes, and it can become who we are. And Christ is like, that ain't you no more. Like, you are dying. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. That's not the identity anymore. I'm now identifying with Christ. And I have a new life. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things, good and bad. And behold, all things come new. i got a new set of priorities. I, I, got, a new, I got a new heart. i got a new, a, a new a, a agenda. And it's a kingdom agenda. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Yeah. I, I've now got a different priority scale. And you can see that reflected in the church in Acts that we read about earlier. Their priorities flipped, man. Priorities shifted. Now all of a sudden the things that used to not be as important, man, that became numero uno. Wow. The things I used to put off. Wow. The things where I put me first. Now I'm not, you know, it's so funny. Uh, we can be just like the disciples of Christ when they came up to him and they said, hey, Jesus, like, you know, like, okay, so like, you know, when we all get to heaven, since we're like on the inside, we're like on the inside track. When we get to heaven, we get to, you know, and you set up your kingdom, right? Yeah. Like, how about me and my brother, we get to sit on your right and your left. I mean, you're cool with that, right? Because we're close. Like, 
And Jesus said, you don't get it. He said, actually, the last is going to be first, and those who want to be first, you're actually going to be last. It's actually backwards. If you want to be great in my kingdom, uh, let me show you an example. And we see Christ washing the feet of his disciples. This is what the kingdom looks like. And man, it blew their minds. They didn't know how to deal with it. Even to the point where when a little kid would try to come to Jesus, they're like, no, 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 Jesus is too important. We're little kids. Keep your kids away, ma'am. And Jesus says, don't forsake the little children to come to me. Why? Because for such as this, the kingdom of heaven actually belongs to them. Like they get it. They understand. I could just come to them. There's a different mentality. There's a different understanding. My priorities shift. Something in me changes when I now belong to Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. So stop viewing church as somewhere you go. It's no longer we who live, but it's now Christ who lives in us. It's no longer about what is convenient for you. It is no longer about if you uh, are, are, are this person who's got all this stuff put together and you're doing all these wonderful things. It's now about if you are truly in Christ because it is about serving Him, loving others, gathering in Christ-centered community to grow together, not forsaking that, making a bigger impact on eternity together, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness every single day. So this week, in your community group, you're going to be faced with and ask some questions that are going to make you think. I mean, you're going to have to think and answer some questions this week in your community group. And my hope is that through this process that we go through corporately as a church, that your definition of church is changing and that you stop simply going to church and you start growing and being the church every single day. Jesus is the head. We have been invited to be a part of this beautiful thing called church to show grace and truth and hope to a world that desperately needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. So Lord, we thank you for this day. And we ask that you would help us to grow in what it means to be the church throughout this entire series as we go through this, both in our community groups and as we go through this series on the weekends, we pray that you would help us to have paradigm shifts where we begin to see things differently and think differently and have our minds renewed, have our, our former ways of thought and our former patterns challenged by your word and your Holy Spirit changing us and, and, and bringing us on this journey of, of sanctification where we begin to have our thinking and our priorities and our heart realigned to what you say is important. So help us to do that together as a church and let this transform our church in such a radical way that we begin to live out this mission that you've called us to in a real tangible way. Lord, we give this to you and we ask you to continue to move in and among us as we dive into your word and as we challenge one another and as we connect together and go deeper together in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Before you go, don't forget to stop over by the community group wall. If you are not plugged in, you need to get plugged in. That's really all I'm going to say because we've got a lot of groups available. You need to get plugged in. This is so important that we go in through this together. 
Our team has done an incredible job putting this together. I'm super excited about what this week is going to hold for you as we go through this stuff together and continue to dive deep into this. Also, don't forget to stop and say hello to Cully and just get connected uh, with Samaritan's Hand, however God may see fit. At the very least, we can commit as a church body to continue to pray for them and lift them up and just encourage them when we see uh, Cully and his team throughout town because we believe in what they're doing and uh, we love the fact that they're one of our global partners. Amen. All right. So before you go, number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, church. You are dismissed.